a confession Truth is I need to learn a lesson What it means to really lay my life down Quick to judge, quick to be defensive Walls up, I'm easily offended But I know I really need a heart change I just want to love like Jesus The kind of love that don't need a reason No strings attached, no questions asked to give it all and you're never gonna take it back It's not for me to say who's worthy Everybody needs his grace and mercy Cause I just want to love like, love like Love like Jesus take it back it's not for me to say who's worthy everybody needs his grace and mercy cause i just want to love like love like i said a little more kindness patience gentleness self-control peace and joy goodness oh lord help me love i said a Kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control, peace and joy, goodness, oh Lord, help me love, love like Jesus. Your elemental like the morning sun unveiling endless light. I see the echo of your goodness in each corner of my life. And I've become so cynical when things are looking critical. But you don't ever lose control. So I'm holding close to my only hope on the darkest nights when I'm far from home. But even in these valleys, you're the one I'm clinging to Are you told to let go, so I won't let go of you Are you told to let go, so I won't let go of you
distance, there's no need for me to doubt. But in the waiting, you're still paving every path I travel down. But I've become so cynical when things are looking critical. But you don't ever lose control. So holding close to my only hope. On the darkest night, when I'm far from home. But even in these valleys, you're the one I'm clinging to. Thank you. 
God for what he has done, the light of our world.
Bring it on out. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the one who has come to this earth to give us light in the darkness, to give us hope, to give us a purpose outside of ourselves. God, each of the people in here, I ask that you'll bless them in these times that you're here today so that they can focus on you and only you. Let their attentions be where it needs to be. Let them be able to see that you are here in this place with us and that you're going to touch their hearts if they open it up to you. And they can be changed because they are in your presence. We give you all glory and all praise. You are here. You're moving in our midst. I worship you. Let's worship. Oh, I worship you.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Capital City Christian Church. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Logan. I'm one of the elders here. And thank you so much for coming to spend your Sunday morning with us. If this is your first time here, special welcome to you. In front of your seat back in front of you, you'll see a little card. It says connect. If you want to fill one of those out, drop it off at the welcome desk out front. We'll be sure to get you some information about the church. Uh, so before we dive in too deep this morning, I do have some announcements to go over with you. Uh, next Saturday, uh, the 10th, at 10 a.m., we're going to have our Father Kid Bowl. So if you're a father and you have a kid and you want to bowl, it's going to be over at the Capitol Bowling Alley on the other side of town. Love to have you. Uh, if you've got kids uh, and, and dad's not available, dad's not going to be around, dad's not in the picture, whatever the case may be, we're going to have dads on loan uh, there as well. So feel free to uh, send your kids and get rid of them for a couple hours. That's okay, too. Uh Valentine's Day, that's coming up, allegedly. Thanks, Hallmark. Appreciate that. Uh, and so we're going to give you the perfect Valentine's Day date. It's on the 13th. Uh, it, there's going to be a comedy show. There's going to be dinner. There's going to be all the things that people like around Valentine's Day, uh, love and, and all that junk. Uh, that's going to start at 6 o'clock at dinner, uh, and then the show's going to start at 7 uh, so if you would like to sign up for that, see John Sutphin, he's our executive minister, or you can email him and you can see his email address right there. Uh, also, starting today, we have our Getting Started 101 class. Look around, there's a lot of people that you may not recognize, they're new to the church, or maybe you've been around for a long time and you're still not sure about what we do, why we do it, maybe you're not sure about what Jesus is or why he did what he did or, or, or 
any of that. And so we're going to dive in pretty deep. This is going to be a little bit more in-depth than just, hey, go to the connections room and talk to somebody. We're actually going to start a class, and that's going to start today at 11 o'clock, and that is going to be downstairs like you're going to the gym towards the offices. Uh, that long hallway there, there's a conference room. Uh, so that's going to be in the conference room. So stop by at 11 if you'd like to get some more info. If you need help finding it, stop by and see one of the, uh, the welcome uh, folks out front, and they will make sure to get it to you, uh, get you down there. Uh, so Steve called me this week, and he said, Logan, what do you know about prisms? And I said, well, despite what my high school yearbook predicted, I've never been. And he said, no, no, no. Prism, mum, 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 prism. I said, oh, okay, yeah, no, the thing that's on the cover of the Pink Floyd album. And so that, that he said, yeah, that's, that's it, that's, that's the, the prism. And he said, you're going to do a science experiment on stage, and you're going to explain how a prism works. That's what I said, right? And, and so I, I said, no, 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 I, I, you need to ask Doc. Doc loves to get on stage and pretend that he's smart. So, like, ask him to explain what a prism is. And, and so I had to become an expert because Steve said don't get up there and look stupid. So to not look stupid, I, I brought these. Um, that helps. And so uh, they're, they're not real. Um, but um, so I, I brought these. And so I became an expert this week on prisms. And by expert, I mean I watched a, a three-minute YouTube video with ads. And um, what I learned is that, that prisms have been around for a long time, and, and people's opinions on light goes back centuries, Right. And, and prisms go back to the 13th century, and, and, and for like four or 500 years, people thought that they had them figured out. They had a lot of opinions. They thought they had the answers, right? And, and then this guy named Isaac Newton showed up. And so prior to Isaac Newton, if you look here, let's see. If you guys kind of look around the room, can you see some, some rainbow stuff up on the ceiling? And so... Prior to Isaac Newton, people thought that, that how this worked was that a perfectly pure light was introduced into this prism that, that put all kinds of impurities in it, and then it showed all of these colors. And so a perfectly pure light introducing impurities is, is how this worked. And, and then Isaac Newton says, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works. He said the, the way this works, he said the colors are already in the light. And he proved it. And, and the way he proved it, he got this loaf of bread in it, like a baguette. And he, he sliced it open, and he put this uh, deli meat on it. And all right, I, I, didn't, I don't know how he actually did it. That was the, there was an ad that popped up. Um, it was a Subway ad. I was hungry. I didn't watch the rest of the video. Anyway, I don't know how he did it. The point is that he did prove that that's not how a prism operates. He proved that light is already in the prism, or the, 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 the prism that reflects that light, that is, that is the light. These colors are already in that light, and not only are the colors in the light, the colors are the light. And, and the Bible references light many times, and, and, and God even appears as light. You go in the Old Testament, he appears as a burning bush, he appears as a, a cloud of fire. And, and I think that was God with a dimmer switch on, really, because he even tells Moses, he says, no one can see my face and live. And so, you know, this was a, a, a very real thing um, of, of light. And, and Jesus showed up all of a sudden. And, and Jesus didn't claim to, to just have, have the answers of how everything operated. He claimed to be the answer. And when he claimed to be the answer, people, again, had all of these opinions. And, and, and he pushed back. And, and when that happened, he, uh, he made this choice, right? And he made this choice to... 
to die for us and, and prove that he was the answer, that he was, he was the light. And so he said, uh, Paul was, was describing Jesus uh, in Hebrews. And what he said is he says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the prism by which you can understand God the Father. You can understand God the Father in his light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the answer. And that's what we're going to dive into today. So let's watch this video. Let's pray. For your grace, we give you thanks. For your invite to be here, we give you thanks. Now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So how many of you old guys remember drinking from a garden hose? Anybody remember that? Isn't that cool? Were you ever drinking from a hose when someone else turned up the pressure? <laughs> it can mess you up, right? Or did you ever kick up the pressure when your brother or sister was drinking from the hose? If you haven't, I recommend it. <laughs> and then run. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning, right here. In case you can't make it out, that's a guy trying to drink from a fire hydrant. Because we're going to tackle one of the richest, deepest, densest passages in the whole Bible. Nearly every phrase is big. I'm going to try to dial it back so we can hang on, but nearly every idea is mind-blowing if you get it. Because that's kind of the way God is. You're going to be tempted to check out, I suspect. Please don't. You're going to be tempted to get stuck and fall back. Please don't. Just keep leaning in if you can. I think it'll be worth it. Guys, this universe we're part of is big, isn't it? You know that light travels at a little over 186,000 miles per second. So a single photon of light could actually circle the Earth seven times in a single second. Well, they estimate that it would take that photon 94 billion years to cross the universe. That's big. In fact, they estimate that our universe contains maybe 200 billion trillion stars. That's a two with 23 zeros. It's a lot. And the most common guess is that our universe is about 13.8 billion years old. That's old. In the last year or so, there are those who are reviewing the numbers and trying to revise that estimate to about 26.7 billion years old. Twice as old. 
And of course, there are those who think those estimates are crazy and they think the universe is only about 6,000 years old, which is still old. Bottom line, I don't care. What matters is that they all agree that there was a time when the universe was not. So at some point, the universe had a first birthday. How'd that happen? How do you go from nothing to something? More precisely, how did the universe, something that is natural, go from something, from nothing to something? I think it boils down to one of two options. Either, number one, nature birthed itself, or something supernatural birthed it. Either our universe popped into existence on its own, which is pretty much the definition of magic, or there's a creator out there who is by nature eternal, which the universe clearly is not because it has a birthday. Here it is. It's hard to wrap your head around the idea of an eternal creator God, but it is way easier than believing in magic. It's kind of amusing, actually, to follow the mental gymnastics of those who try to figure this thing out without God. It does take way more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God, guys. However, that there is a creator is not the wildest part of the Bible story. Most everybody everywhere for all of time have believed that. A way wilder part of the Bible story is who the creator is. Here it is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because in Him, in the Son, all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So, Paul says, the Creator is the Son. You know what he's talking about? The Son of God, God's Son. Wouldn't bother us so much, I suppose, if we pictured the Son as some kind of a supernatural being like one of those guys, right? But Paul was talking about a guy born on earth about 60 years before he wrote these words. A guy who died about 30 years before he wrote these words. A guy who he says wouldn't stay dead. A guy who maybe looks something like this. Believe it or not, this is a National Geographic reconstruction. They had some experts reconstruct as best as possible what a Galilean Jew might have looked like from the first century. And this is what they came up with. You okay with that? And the Apostle Paul, a guy who actually hated Jesus for a while until they had a face-to-face, the Apostle Paul says he is present tense, not was, he is the image of the invisible God. Listen, guys, God doesn't look like that physically. God isn't made of the stuff of creation. He doesn't have eyeballs, nose hair, and a beard, and all that. What would he need him for? What Paul is saying is that when you see the heart of Jesus, you see the heart of God. When you understand the passions of Jesus, you understand the passions of God. When he speaks, you're hearing God speak. When he touches, you're feeling the touch of God. 
See, God is not made of the stuff of creation, the stuff that we can see and hear and touch. So God made himself seeable and hearable and touchable in Jesus. Now, do you know what that means? It means that any idea of God that doesn't conform to Jesus is bogus. It doesn't matter what you want God to look like. It doesn't matter what you want God to be like. If you want to experience the real Jesus, the real God, you follow Jesus. That's what it means. And Paul calls him the firstborn over all creation. Now back then, sometimes firstborn meant the one who's born first. But usually it meant something different than that. It meant the one who is first, the one who is over, the one who is supreme. Now do you have any idea how wild that would have sounded? This Galilean peasant, born 60 years prior to Paul writing these words, executed 30 years prior to Paul writing these words, someone like this guy. He's supreme, not just over a house, a church, a town, a province, even a world. Paul says he is right now supreme over everything. The sun, it's his. The Milky Way, it's his. Those 200 billion trillion stars out there, they're all his. All of them. And he's not only supreme over all creation, born 60 years, this guy, before Paul wrote, executed as a rabble-rouser 30 years prior to the time that Paul wrote this down. This Galilean peasant, Paul says, he's the one who got it started. 6,000 years ago, 13.8 billion years ago, 26.7 billion years ago, it doesn't matter. Paul says, this is the guy. He's older than he looks. And here's what's even weirder. I mean, all of us sense that there is more than we can see and touch. Most of us sense that there are spiritual forces out there. Some of us call them angels and demons. Others have other names. According to Paul, Jesus created them too. He's supreme over them too. All the other gods we worship, they're not gods. He is. In fact, anything else that you obsess over, anything else that you worship, anything else that you see as God, he's over it. Why, why do we try to shove anything that he created into his rightful place? Why would we treat anything else as supreme? It's crazy. All things were created through him and for him, whatever that means. But whatever else it means, it means that no one else, nothing else is worthy of of our worship. This Jesus, who would have been 60 or so had he still been walking on the earth when Paul wrote these words, Paul says, he never really had a first birthday. He was just before everything else. 6,000 years, 13.8 billion years, 26.7 billion years, Jesus already just was. Did it even fit into our brains? But guys, think about it. Something eternal has to exist for anything not eternal to be born. And Paul says this is the guy. 
In fact, he's the one holding it all together. And we Jesus followers buy it. It's wild. But it's not nearly as wild as imagining creation without a creator. Something birthed without someone birthing it. So here it is. Paul says, we Jesus followers believe that for some reason, a reason that's even more mind-blowing than all of this, for some reason the invisible God made himself visible. Because God can do that. For some reason the invisible God took the form of a real guy. Fingers, toes, belly button. Why would the eternal one need a belly button? With a belly that growled when he got hungry? A God who gets hungry? The invisible God condescended to a physical form susceptible to scrapes and bruises, toothaches, headaches, sunburn, goosebumps. A God with goosebumps. A God who needed sleep, a bathroom, a shave. A God in a bod. And a God who could die? That almost sounds like a disqualifier, right? An eternal God who dies? If that's true, that would be Jesus' most deceptive moment as he's hanging dead on a cross. But who, because he really was God, wouldn't stay dead? What if Paul was right? What if Jesus was, or is, the visible image of the invisible God? What if he really is the creator? not just of the physical universe, but of every single other spiritual force out there? What if he really is supreme? And what if everything else is designed to acknowledge his supremacy? What if you and me, what if we were designed to operate acknowledging his supremacy? If you accepted that, if you embraced that, would you fear him? If he really is that powerful, if he really is that supreme, would you fear him? Would you obey him? Would you honor him? Would you love him? You realize, don't you, that infinite power doesn't make anybody worthy of love. Now, it makes sense that there's a creator. And it makes perfect sense that the creator is infinitely powerful and infinitely smart. But there is a bigger question. Is he good? And maybe even a bigger question, does he care? Does God care? Is God good? Is he worthy, not just of our fear, but of our love? Well, part two is even more mind-blowing than part one. The idea that this creator God walked this earth as a Galilean peasant, that's wild. When you understand why he came, that is exponentially wilder. Next three verses. Apostle Paul says, He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy, because God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? It was blood shed on a cross. What if that's true? 
Wouldn't it be cool if that was true? And if it isn't true, if it is true, that is, wouldn't it be the definition of an insanity to blow it off? He's the head of the church, Paul says, which in comparison with all the other stuff he says about Jesus seems kind of little. And there are those who would hear that and they're kind of like, well, who cares? Big fish in a little pond. Hour a week people gather at places like Cap City and Buck Run and Forks and Southland and Southeast and a boatload of other little clusters and say cool things about Jesus for an hour a week maybe. Not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. But it goes deeper than that. Because when Paul says he is the head of the body of the church, you could also translate it, he is the source. He's the source of the church. He not only birthed physical life, he also births spiritual life. He's not just the source of physical life, he's also the source of, of spiritual life, because we're hybrids, right? We're not only physical creatures, we're spiritual creatures as well. He is the source of both kinds of life. But there's a dark twist, piece you need to see. It's right here. It's underneath the words. We are hybrids. We're given physical life. We're given spiritual life. But both can die. Both do die. One of those deaths matters a little. The other death matters eternally. Jesus, Paul says, Jesus not only defeated physical death, he defeated spiritual death too. So now he is supreme over death itself and over everyone else who can now defeat death by following him. I love the way the Phillips translation puts it. It says, it says life from nothing began through him. Life from the dead began through him. And he is therefore justly called the Lord of all. Did you read that carefully? Life from nothing began through him. Life from the dead began through him, and he is therefore justly called the Lord of all. And you know why Jesus can pull that off? Because of the next verse, verse 19. Because God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in this Galilean peasant. How deceptive is that? In fact, a few verses down, Paul says it even more succinctly. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. He was God in a bod. Hmm. What if it's true? What difference would that make for you? What if it's true? Do you want it to be true? And does that matter? Can something be true even if you don't want it to be true? You think? And if it's true, shouldn't it matter? Kind of like more than anything else in your life? But why wouldn't you want it to be true? It's right there. We just haven't pulled it out yet. What all this means is that the infinitely powerful, infinitely smart God also cares. And it means that He is really, really staggeringly good. Listen to what Paul says next. He says, not only was God pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, he was also pleased through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things. 
whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through the blood of the cross. Don't you dare let that verse get by too quickly. You know what that means? It means that creation itself rebelled against the Creator. It means that what God created as good fell, broke, and it became not what God meant it to be. It means the Creator watched creation fall and it broke His heart. Cares. He watched us fall and it breaks His heart. He cares. Do you understand that? You know how much He cares? He cared so deeply that he took the form of a Galilean peasant and went to a cross to purchase our peace with his blood. You get it? A God that powerful, that smart, a God supreme over creation, unimaginably vast, cares for those as insignificant as us so deeply that he'd take a form like ours so we could take the punishment that we deserved for the mess we made. Which means our God is not only infinitely powerful and infinitely smart, it means that he is unfathomably good. How cool is that? For those who reaffirm the supremacy of Jesus. So it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul in another place calls Jesus a stumbling block for the Jews. Sheer foolishness to the Gentiles. Think about it. Do we actually believe that a creator God simply spoke into existence this unimaginably huge universe? 94 billion light years across, 200 billion trillion stars, 13.8 billion years old maybe? An eternal God just spoken into existence? Do we believe that? Do you have a more plausible explanation? Do we actually believe that this infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, eternally old God could actually care about and fixate on something as insignificant as us, tiny little humans? Seriously? Do we actually believe that for some crazy reason God actually created us in His image in some way? We do. And do we actually believe that this immensely powerful God condescended to become a Galilean peasant with a body like ours, subject to the brokenness of our world, even to the brokenness of men? We do. Who would make something like that up? And do we really believe that to get it done, do we really believe that God impregnated a virgin, that he chose to come into our world through the birth canal of a peasant teenager, that the Creator, our Lord, our Savior, our God, fed from her breast and was dependent on her to keep him safe and warm? We do. And do we really believe that when he grew up, you know, the guy we think is eternal, when he grew up, he went out and collected a motley bunch of misfits to be his disciples, guys who were certainly not the A-team. And then he went around teaching stuff that was quite counterintuitive and working all these miracles. And yeah, we believe that too. And do we believe that somehow if this little corner of the universe went to hell because two people, however many years ago, messed up? 
And do we really believe that we are still messed up, seriously hosed in part, because we keep on messing up just like they did millennia ago? Yeah, we do. And do we really think that God thought that the best way to fix us, to save us from the punishment we earned, was to subject himself to extreme humiliation and pain? Our humiliation and pain. We think he's God, right? So why would he do it this way? Couldn't he have fixed us and saved us from his own punishment in a way that was a little less masochistic, perhaps? In other words, do we really believe that although he was God in a bod, that although he had all this power and authority, this all-knowing, all-loving God decided that the best way to save us from our sins, the best way to spare us from his punishment was to subject himself to extreme torture and execution, taking our place? And do we actually think that the creator, the eternal, the all-powerful God died? We do. And do we really believe his followers' claims that he didn't stay dead? Because he's God, right? We absolutely do. And do we believe that his death and resurrection fixes our brokenness? And that because of who he was and what he did, he deserves our total allegiance. Yes, we do. That's about it. Stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, no kidding, and to billions of others who've blown him off, marginalized him, or who say they believe in him but live like he doesn't matter. Go figure. Guys, this is easy, either the craziest con in history or the craziest thing that anyone could ever do would be to blow him off or marginalize him or say they believe in him but live as if he doesn't matter. A God who's infinitely powerful and infinitely smart, that just makes sense. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to buy that. But a God who's also good, who actually cares, that's mind-blowing. And that he would act on that by becoming one of us for a moment in time and then dying in our place so we could be at peace with our Creator, that's flat-out crazy to believe. The only thing crazier would be not to. Who could make it up? And why wouldn't you want it to be true? Why wouldn't you want God to be like that? Listen, guys, if your God is not that big, your God is too small. A puny God elicits puny devotion. The real God deserves supremacy in everything. One more piece, and this is the wildest piece of all. Do you know what's crazier than God becoming one of us, God birthed as a baby, growing up into something like us. What's crazier is what happens in this room week after week. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seven verses later, Colossians 1.27, Paul drops maybe the most precious gem of all. You see, there's this mystery, a secret, a gift that God has been wanting to give every single one of us. And He says, this is the secret. Christ actually lives in you. And this gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. This infinitely powerful, infinitely smart creator God 
this God who for some reason cares and who has proven to be mind-blowingly good, if you'll follow him, Paul says, he will make a home inside you if you let him. Because he lets you choose. Ever thought about it that way? Now, Ben and I are drawing some ideas from this series for a, from a book by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola. It's called Jesus Manifesto. And I'm just going to read you a little piece that they wrote. Here it is. The wonder of all wonders. The real mystery of God is this, that the one who is the visible image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, the one who is the living residence of the Trinity, the one in whom eternity lives, breathes, and has its being, the one who is before time, the A to Z, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of the created universe who rose from the dead never to die again, the conqueror of sin, death, and the grave, the creator, savior, redeemer, and forgiver, the one who holds all creation together in himself, the one who is the power of glory and might, the head, the authority, the source of the church, the one through whom and for whom all things were created, the one in whom all things find their meaning and reality, the one who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth to God, the one who nailed to his bloody cross every rule, law, regulation that would condemn the beloved people of God, the one who's supreme in every realm and holds first place in all things, the son of the Father's love, the one whose significance is unmatched in human history, the one who holds the title deed to the universe. I want you to read this next part with me. I'm going to slow down a little bit. You ready? I want you to say these words. This glorious, limitless, amazing, incredible, expansive, incomparable, marvelous, stunning, staggering, majestic, mighty, matchless, spectacular, outstanding, tremendous, immense, infinite, vast, grand, triumphant, victorious, precious, radiant, peerless, wonderful, magnificent Christ. This is the one who has chosen to place all of his fullness where? Inside of you. You get it? You feel it? Guys, what if it's true? What if all this seeming absurdity is true? What would it be worth to you? Paul was consumed by it. He was willing to go anywhere, suffer anything to tell people about Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's it mean to you? Think about it this way. Is there anything that you would be willing to suffer for? Is there anything you'd be willing to die for? I hope so. Because if there's not, your life's too little. And you're living for too little. What would you give if this mystery, this gospel were true? What would you be willing to give up if this mystery were true? What would you hold back from Christ inside you, the hope of glory? The one who wants to morph you into what he meant you to be. Listen, guys, if you let him in, what do you lose? If you don't let him in, what do you lose? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only thing crazier than believing this whole thing is not to. To blow him off, to marginalize him, to say that you believe in him and then live like it doesn't matter. 
That won't cut it. We bend our knees or we go to war. I choose to bend my knees. What do you choose? Guys, you're going to have an opportunity to respond in a variety of ways. In a moment, we're going to gather around the Lord's table after we sing a song first. That's when we celebrate the supremacy of our Lord, commit ourselves to Him again. If you're not a Jesus follower, I'd love to talk to you. love to get this thing started. This is real life. I'm going to sit right down here. If you prefer, there's an elder praying for you in that prayer room in the back. After the service is over, I'm going to sit right here, and Ben's going to be in the connections room out there. If you go into the foyer and turn left, he's going to be there. We'd love to talk to you about making Jesus Christ your Lord or to talk about making maybe Capital City your church home. We'd love to chat with you. You need a church home. If not Capital City, find a church and make it your home, guys. Let's right now, let's stand together and just honor Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Souls of 
dear friend of mine. This is Connie. She's been around for a bit. Uh, she really loves Jesus, and she's been following for a while, but she's never been baptized, and she's ready to do that. And so she's going to do a confession of faith today. Next Sunday, you're going to get to see her get baptized, and that's going to be really cool. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the, Christ the, Son of the, God, the Son of the living God, and my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Connie. Man, it's a wild story, isn't it? It's a wild story that we all interact with, this idea that God would show up, I like Doc's language, as a Galilean peasant. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? But then, like, that's just the like surface level. There's so much more to it. The fact that God is actually good, and he did so for our behalf. It's, it's wild. And then every Sunday we get together and we celebrate the fact that it doesn't even stop there. That there's something even more deeply personal about it, but that he, he comes into us. That he is working through us. That, God, that, that we somehow become temples of the living God. That the Spirit moves and acts and leads us in our life. It's crazy. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you experience it. It's a powerful story from a very powerful God. I encourage you to dwell on those things. There's going to be a verse on the screen here in a moment as we go to the tables. That, uh, that passage, Colossians 1.27, that verse, there's, there's a mystery. There's this puzzle to life that doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you see Jesus. I want you to dwell on that, meditate on those things. I'm going to invite you to the table. It's a place, uh, they're all around the room. It's a place where we come and get a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, and we remember a God who died for us and the God who rose from the dead changes absolutely everything. And as an act of worship, as we participate in what it is that he's done for us, we, we give back to him. And so if you're part of that Cap City family, there's a box there that says offering on it. It's a place where we give back our first parts to him. It's an act of worship. And then sometimes we feel so compelled, so grateful for how far this God went for us that we want to give even more. And so there's white buckets. There are generous buckets where we give if we feel so compelled. I want to encourage you again, just meditate on these ideas, this powerful idea. The God of the universe who is capable of living in a Galilean peasant, who is good, lives in you, wants to live in you, wants to have that relationship. Why don't you stand? Let's go to the tables.
lights went out When death claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history They're on a cross and made for sinners Forever curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake the veil was torn 
just the Savior. He has saved us once, but he is the king over all of our lives. In this darkness that we were in, we now can attribute this light to Jesus Christ, the one who has changed us and has made us something better than we could be on our own. Father, we no longer live for ourselves. We want to live for you. We want to live the way that Jesus Christ lived. Teach us what it looks like to be sacrificial. Teach us what it looks like to love. Teach us how to give grace and mercy in situations that never really seem to warrant it. Father, let us look different to the rest of this world so that they will flock to this place and they will flock to each of us and say, what is it? Why is it that, that you're different? And it's because we believe that you exist. We believe that you're in charge of our life and we believe that Jesus Christ was a way for you to reach out to this world. Father, thank you so much for all those facets of Jesus Christ. Let them be the, the most important thing to each of us. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. We're so glad that you chose to be here today. We're going to sing one more because we believe in miracle power, but if you got to go, go ahead.
Say it right now. Even though it's hard. Thanks for being here. Let's see you next week.